Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and a short feature series, Remembering John Paul Jr., which focuses on the late race car driver's career in sports cars. Known as one of the most natural talents in the sport, Jr. became a champion in the International Motorsports Association's fearsome GTP class, won many of the biggest endurance races, and added a famous IndyCar victory to his growing reputation before his father's drug trafficking business ensnared the two in 1986. With his career halted during the 30 months he spent in prison, compounded by a refusal to testify against his father, John Paul Sr., the Indiana native returned to racing in 1989 and continued driving until the early 2000s. Altogether, the vast majority of Jr.'s exploits in racing came in sports cars, and I've assembled eight brief episodes with his friends, co-drivers, team owners, and an IMSA official to share their insights and appreciations for all that made John Paul Jr. such a beloved figure inside the sport. And in some of the interviews, our guests speak to the latter years of Junior's life, where he fought and ultimately succumbed to the neurological disorder Huntington's disease. Junior's close friend, author Sylvia Wilkinson, wrote a book titled 50-50 about his life and career before and after Huntington's impact. And while the book is sold in many places, you'd like to support his legacy, a purchase directly from Sylvia through the email address johnmortonracing@att.net. We'll send some of the proceeds to UCLA for ongoing research to combat the disease. So let's get going with racer and podcaster Ryan Eversley, whose family and presence on earth have direct ties to Junior. All brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com. Ryan Eversley, I think you are one of very few people who can make the honest claim that if it weren't for John Paul Jr. and the Paul family, you wouldn't exist. Can you tell us about this absolutely tied to the roots link to the late and great John Paul Jr., but also this overarching racing team that really and truly brought you to life? Yeah, definitely. Um, Obviously, I'm a second-generation racer after my dad, and he had seen... Back in the early 80s, he had seen an advertisement for JLP Racing looking for mechanics in the back of Autosport magazine. And so he went to London and had an interview and, uh, you know, flew over to the States and worked for JLP Racing. And they were building the 935 program up. They had just stopped racing the Corvette or, or transitioning, I think. At that, that was kind of what my dad was, was good at, fabricating and building all those things. And at the same time that was taking place, my mom, who had been a flight attendant, and enjoyed the airline industry but didn't feel like flying all the time anymore had transitioned into a uh, travel agency which kids if you're listening a travel agency used to be (laughs) a uh, (laughs) and so um one of the things that my mom would do uh, especially with jlp racing as one of her customers was because they're you know they're booking tickets by by the dozen at times you know we got 10 12 guys we got to get out to california or the new york or whatever and so they would pay for these uh i'm guessing sometimes in cash mm. based on based on the cash cash by yes. the kilo yes um, but uh my mom would have these tickets you know and, and basically would hand deliver the 10 to 12 tickets to the shop and so my parents ended up meeting through JLT racing. And back then the thing to do was if you were in English or German or, you know, mechanic from overseas and you had overstayed your work visa, which nobody was getting, um, you would get married on a green card 
and that was a very common thing back then for uh, for European racing mechanics. So my mom, being the awesome badass lady that she is, was like, "Yeah, I'll get married to you, John. Not a green card, no problem." So they uh, they got married, and about a year later, they decided to start dating. <laughs> so um, that's how my parents met through JLP Racing. And when I came along, about two years after that, my dad had moved on from JLP Racing, but he, having gotten to work with the likes of Ross Stomelin and you know Derek Bell and on and on and on, uh, one of the people he always talked about growing up for, in the household for me was Junior. You know, it was always like you know Junior would do this, or you know we can't wait to see how Junior's going to do in that race. And if I was at home watching the race or if I was at the track, you know, on the sidelines, my mom would like talk about John Paul Jr. Like almost like he was a character, Mm. you know, like, like, like a legend in a book, you know, like, Oh, here comes this, this uh, ungodly demon that if it's going to rain, no one's going to be able to touch him. And no one knew why he was so good. He knows just like, that was kind of the, the mystique about him. So before I met him, I had always heard, you know, different stories about him and obviously his dad. Um, but the stories about Junior were always related around how good he was, how naturally gifted and talented he was, and how uh, how anytime the conditions were terrible, he was the guy you'd want in the car. Tell me about, Ryan, having this mythic person, basically, uh, who was part of this amazing connection. Your father there, of course, you've shown me photos of him uh, buried beneath these amazing JLP Porsche 935s and other things where you go, oh my gosh, if GoPros existed back then, this would be the most amazing thing to strap on and see him like, you know, firsthand uh, creating or, or maintaining and preparing these vehicles. But knowing that Junior in particular held such a high, high status in the Eversley household and, and reverie for what he could do. What's it like growing up around that? Because you obviously becoming a mechanic, becoming a race car driver, factory race car driver, you're not too dissimilar from some of the things, some of the paths that uh, junior followed, but there was this even cooler thing where there's a real family link to him. Was that like growing up knowing about him and maybe want to possibly emulate him? He was the first race car driver that I felt a connection to. Like, I, I mean, I met him once or twice when I was really young. And at that point, it doesn't register. You, you know, it's just like, oh, my God, you shake hands. And then he talks to your dad. And then he walks away. And you're like, oh, I met John Paul Jr. You know, I was having, like, in-depth conversations with him at seven years old. Um, but who am I cheering for? It's going to be it's going to be Jr. today, you know. And I would ask, quite, I'm like, Dad, why is he so good in the rain? And, and he's like, you know, his dad, senior, from everything I've ever heard about him, is like he didn't just say, "Hey, junior, here's the here's the car and go have a great time." He made him run Formula Fords. He made him run errands at the shop. You know, he was like kind of like, if you want your F two thousand car or whatever it is, your you know sports two to run, you have to help the guys load the truck for the for the big races and stuff like that. They would take apparently his dad would take the windshield wipers off of the street car, and if it was pouring rain, he'd say, "Go drive around for a couple hours." You know what I mean? Just wow. to get him so used to crap like that. They would purposely put crappy tires on a street car if it was pouring rain, take the wipers off and say, all right, go drive around and figure it out. You know, like, and so 
just things like that that I would hear growing up. And I'm like, I remember being in high school and I had a little cracky BMW that I, I was so excited about. I would not turn the wipers on in the rain. You know, if I was on a back road by myself, I would do the same thing just because that's the story I heard as a kid that that's how junior got good in the rain. And we all know, like, if you're good in the rain, you're like next level, right? It's the, it's the ultimate equalizer. And, uh, and so I've always strived so hard to be good at, at wet weather racing and uh, I think everybody wants to be that way, but junior absolutely was. And it got proven time and time again, you got to think that's back when there was like no anti-lag. So you had these 900 horsepower, 935 short wheelbase, four speeds with turbos, the size of your head. And you're trying to put the power down in those things. And you're on tires that I'm sure weren't as great as what we have now. Uh, and, and just these monstrous cars and he could be out there and just be a superstar at it. And so that's all I wanted. You know, I remember, before I even raced anything, I was like, I hope one day I'm good in the ring, you, you know, because, wow. because junior was. And so it was just those things that I wanted to, I wanted to emulate, as you said. And I remember getting to meet him when he was racing for uh, Dyson with the Riley and Scotts at Red Atlanta. Cause that was a race I always got to go to. And at this point I was sharp enough to know about the sport. And, you know, I had, you know, I, I had a good idea of what I wanted to do when I grew up. And so we went to Red Atlanta I remember he had this uh, orange and yellow helmet that was kind of the, like a new helmet he was trying out. And I was like, man, that looks so cool, you know. And uh, James Weaver at this point had become my favorite driver because he was like the new, you know, household name that I, I just loved the guy and how crazy fast he was. And so when Junior and and John or, uh, and, and James Weaver were teammates, I was like, this is the greatest thing ever, <laughs> no. you know. So for me, it was like I wanted to I wanted to drive for Dyson so I could be James Weaver or slide singer or john paul jr's teammate so it was just it was just a really neat thing to be there i think that was 1996 or 90, 95 96 at, at Rhode atlanta when it was still at that point it might have been called world sports car but, but yeah it's just like those, those are my my stories growing up and then as i got older and especially with the the help of social media seeing photos of my dad working on jlp3 you know which i think is probably the coolest car of all time it's in my phone you know, like it's my background on my phone when I, when I open it. And now that the average fan can look up these cars, because I think now that Instagram especially, you just type in 935 in the, like, the search thing and you'll come across all these cool 935s that raced all over the planet back then. And JLP3, which I believe is owned by, uh, or I know is owned by... Uh, Zach Brown? Yeah, Zach Brown, thank you. JLP three, which is owned by Zach Brown. Like I would love to just be able to sit with that car for a day. You know what I mean? Like my goal is to convince that guy one day to let me drive it just for, just for a lap. I don't even want to go fast. I just want to say I drove a car my dad built and one like that, which is a unicorn. Um, we so, can, we can make that happen. I know that we yeah, can that, make that happen. That's something that would, that would be, I would retire that day. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're like, I'm good guys. Um, but basically my point is, is like the JLP legacy, obviously with, with, senior and all the craziness and then the things that junior went through and his family things he was such a nice man when i met him later you know when he was racing the riley and scotts and he was very much like hey if you think you want because because my mom's like junior don't t don't tell me you should be a race car driver and he looked at me he's like you should definitely be a race car driver. <laughs> yes yes my guy gets it you know so um so it was just uh it was great to get to have that influence as a kid and and i was around the track is, I mean, I think that's pretty well documented right by now. And he was still the guy, even in that time period where he had kind of gone away and 
come back and I was like, no, John Paul's it, man. That's the JLP guy. That's my guy. You know, juniors, juniors, my guy. Let's close on this, Ryan, with what you and our mutual pal, Sean Heckman do with your dinner with racers podcast, what I try and do. And, uh, you know, some of us are committed to and passionate about it's trying to tell the stories and champion the heroes that we had maybe more of the private label heroes, right? You know, you guys aren't trying to do the story of Ayrton Senna because it's been done a million times. Right. You guys tend to focus. I know, again, there's some of us who just want to keep those who moved us and motivated us uh, when we were younger alive or bring them to new audiences, new fans. Obviously, we've lost Junior. Well, that That's the sad part, but... You're fortunate to have many great memories, firsthand memories of him. What do you do now? How do you keep him alive with uh, the new drivers you uh, happen to share a car with or crew members? However, however you might look at it, how do you try and keep John Paul Jr. with us and what made him special? Maybe make him a hero uh, for some of those who really didn't know him before. Yeah, you know, when, when Dinner with Racers started to come online uh, and, and was starting to get successful, one of the things we wanted to do was try to sit down with, with Junior. But through the difficulties of his, his disease and, and the struggle he had, both sides, because Tommy Kendall was very cool to try to put that together for us. And, and he was like, you know, Tommy's like, he, he's the man too. He's another hero, right? And we agreed, as well as Tommy, as well as, as Junior, that it wouldn't translate the way we would want him to be remembered and so we didn't go forward with it and it was one of those things that was like man i wish we we had a time you know time machine so we could go back and, and take dinner with racers back before he was struggling so much but um you know that i have this like thought in the back of my head every chance i get that if like we find out we're only going to do one more episode of the tv show that maybe we do like a day with the 935 the car that won like 11 to 12 races or whatever it is mm. um, and, and, and tell that story. And I guess the reality is, is like IMSA has this incredible backstory that we're all familiar with as insiders of the eighties and how a lot of it was funded and things like that. And my parents literally met because of it. And I exist and followed in the family business because of it. So a guy like, John Paul Jr. is always going to be someone I think about every time I drive in the rain, I think about him. Every time I'm out there trying to do the best I can in the rain. And I think I've been pretty successful at it. And, and I always attribute that back to like from an early childhood, standing at Road Atlanta, clinging onto the fence in the rain while my mom's pissed off because she's holding an umbrella because her kid won't let go of the fence because he wants to watch, watch racing. And there he is sideways, P1, killing it. You know, so every time I, I'm out there, especially in the rains, I'm trying to be John Paul Jr. Thanks once again for listening to Remembering John Paul Jr. Thanks as well to Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com for supporting all we do. This is your first time listening. You might pay a visit to MarshallPruittPodcast.com. We have more than 1,000 episodes awaiting your perusal, plus a lovely little subscribe page where you might follow along with all the new content we generate.